Good morning, listeners. This is the Creative Brother. I want to thank you for again uh, tuning in. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is episode number three. And this is going to talk about, we're going to talk about the um, published analysis that I did, of which is called the problem analysis, the Office of Redress Administration for Japanese American citizens, lessons learned for the U.S. descendants of freed African slaves. <coughs> now that's a, a mouthful. I know that. <laughs> but that's the title and it's descriptive. I think once you read that, you know where we're going next and what we're going to be talking about. And what I want to do is, is just <clears throat> overview the analytical process, right? This was a substantial effort on my part. I started in pretty much uh, the beginning of February, uh, 1st of March is when I really started, you know, going for it. And it took all the way up until... October 16th when I published uh, the the results. I mean, I spent all that time, you know, in my spare time, I run, uh, I operate uh, companies and I have non-profits well, a non-profit and also volunteer and have a life. So I fit the analyses in early in the morning <clears throat> when I get up and on the weekends. And I like doing the podcast um, early. I'm up at four. And so I like doing these podcast episodes at four in the morning on Saturdays when my battery is full. My most favorite day is Saturday morning at four o'clock. That's peaceful. And so here we are. <laughs> so I want to discuss this work and, and, and where it goes. We're not going to spend... I'm not going to go through all the sections and, and, and release you from reading it for yourselves. <laughs> I need you to read it for yourselves and get involved in um, what, I, what I came up with. <clears throat> Again, if you've listened to podcast one and two, I've already explained what a problem analysis is and how I go about these processes. So we're not going to review that again and rehash over that, okay? What I will talk about is how I came to the decision to do the analysis, um, the analysis process itself, the results, um, what's required for black American citizens to seek their redress, <clears throat> you know, the strategies, how to organize it, the funding, uh, legal, legislative, and then we're going to close. But I've gone about a process that, to my knowledge, no one else has using the problem analysis, um, you know, structure. And the, <laughs> the thesis is the world awaits. That's pretty much the world awaits. Everyone knows about black slavery, right? American, the American slavery process, you know. And so <clears throat> what I want to do is just read the first, the thesis. And then from there, we'll go into my 
prepared notes. <laughs> okay. So here's my introduction and thesis. And then from there, we'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll go through what I wrote down to discuss with you guys. And then I need you to read it and go from there. And so here's what I say. I say, what is the measure of a country's greatness? Certainly, it is not just repeating the phrase over and over and slapping the slogan on t-shirts and hats, right? The history of America includes major human rights violations that rival any in history across the world. <clears throat> and the stories are many and mostly forgotten, but not by those that were affected by it all. Many decades later, the recovery continues today. The most notable acts of the past against Americans include, number one, tribal genocide against Native Americans and the USA's failure to honor tribal agreements. Two, enslavement of black Americans in the post-enslavement period. <clears throat> and three, internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. Greatness also concerns how a nation deals with how it treated its citizens in the past, right? Lest you forget, American citizens enjoy the constitutional First Amendment right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. <clears throat> How does a nation respond to and address acts of the past? The fact is, in America, Y-O-U must seek your citizens' redress. No one else would take up the task for you. <clears throat> Japanese Americans sought and received redress and reparations for the Presidential Executive Order 9066 Act that illegally interned 120,000 Japanese Americans and other Asians during World War II. The Japanese American redress movement itself and the many precedents that come from it provide the template for other affected citizen groups that should or would seek redress from the U.S. government and significant others for acts of the past. <clears throat> the descendants of illegally enslaved black Americans should take, up, take the lessons learned from the successful Japanese American redress movement and also seek national, state, and municipal level citizens redress and reparations for enduring the inhuman hardships of illegal enslavement and post-enslavement institutional racism, bigotry, and failure to protect their constitutional citizens' rights as guaranteed by the 14th Amendment, the long-term effects of which still exist within most majority black American communities and affect most I'm sorry, many are most black people today in some measurable way. And here it is. The world awaits and wonder. The, let me start again. This is important. <laughs> here we go. Let's try it again. The world awaits and wonders why the effort has not happened before now. It is past time. All righty, I got through that. <laughs> Didn't take that long. So that's the introduction and the thesis. So from there, 
I explain. Okay, I explain uh, both sides, and I used and I used the phrases interned Japanese Americans and enslaved Black Americans in every section. You know, to point out, you know, which which one of which I'm talking about. I use those phrases for emphasis. Interned Japanese Americans. I want to put to to put together a picture in your brain. You know, we all we all do better if we can visualize, right? Interned Japanese American. I want you to visualize being rounded up on Thursday. <laughs> okay, any given Thursday, you're rounded up. You're eight years old. You're being rounded up, taken somewhere by some people. You're leaving behind all your stuff. And you stay there for, you know, 40 months, wherever they take you. Okay. Doesn't sound very, very, very tasty, does it? That's what they went through. Okay. And we're not even going to discuss the enslaved black American stuff because what I want to do with this uh, episode is I want to talk about the work. I want to get into the emotional aspects of this because that is what has kept black American citizens from attaining redress is the emotional, uh, the emotional aspect. You have to get narrow, narrowly focused if you want to win in this country. So, okay, I read you the introduction and the thesis. Let's get into the other parts. <laughs> the reason why I came to the decision to do this analysis has a lot to do with why I established Creative Brother, the Creative Brother um, Think and Do Tank itself. Uh, really, the Creative Brother, I will discuss this, you know, was set up to, you know, what we do. We identify, and it's, when I say we, I mean I, myself. I am a one-man think tank, think and do tank. And then what I do from here, when it's time to go and take it from here and execute, that's when I build my team. But my brain is big. I'm a menzen. I'm a one-percenter menzen. So now I'm giving up myself. I'm telling the world who I am. You don't go around telling everybody you're a menzen. You don't do that. And you darn sure don't tell people you're a one percenter menzen because now all of these people are going to go and try to find me. Am I a registered menzen? No. <laughs> I don't join groups. I'm not a joiner. That's political. Not a joiner. I'm not a part of the menzen society. But I'm a one percenter menzen. And I have proven it my entire life. I didn't know I was a one percenter menzen until I was like 45. But then once I found out, it made all the sense in the world to me as a person, personally, because it really helped me understand why I was able to do all these things since I was a little kid, you know, independently. No one ever told me to do these things that I've done. I mean, listen to the previous podcast and that was, the first podcast will explain who I am, the creative brother. So listen to that one. But it really helped me, it brought it all together for me when I found out what I, what, what, what my brain, how my brain worked. And so the creative brother really is a corral. I put a pin around my thoughts. If you're a Texan or 
you know, you're from the you're from uh, the country. You know what I'm saying. I put a corral around my thoughts and pinned them up. And so now the world gets a chance to see what I'm thinking and gets a chance to feel and, and experience what I'm doing. Because a think and do tank is you think it up, solve it, then you go do it. Not just think it up. Okay, so on this particular effort, we will be, and when I say we, myself and the team that I put together, we will be going for this one. All right, let's get started. <laughs> Ten minutes into the podcast, we're just getting started. All right. So, yes, I, I, I decided to do this um, because it needed to be solved. Creative Brother is a think and do tank that identifies and solves lingering societal problems and then executes the solutions. This is a lingering societal problem. I think you might agree with me on this one, right? <laughs> and so the Japanese, our Japanese American citizens, they are badasses. I, I don't cuss in my podcast, but I cuss. I just did, didn't I? That's the only one you're going to hear uh, if you have tender ears. So you don't have to worry about covering up your ears anymore. But they are badasses. I'm saying it twice. I'm so proud of them and for what they did. Um, so I had to come, I had to put this together. I had to go about solving the black American redress issue by breaking apart and, and, and you know, reverse engineering what our Japanese American brothers and sisters did to get it. Because now you have precedence. And in America, once you have precedence, you have something, right? <laughs> So the analysis process, okay, the most important part was to read the redress book by John, you know, Tatishi. That is the, he was the director of the redress, you know, um, movement for the Japanese American Citizens League, you know, the JACL. I will use the JACL acronym. Um, in place of, you know, the Japanese American Citizens League. He was, was the director of the redress effort, you know, from within the organization. Um, and so I read his book. It came out in January of 2020. And, you know, I spent time reading it. That, that was the, what I needed because he broke it down. And the details of which of what he did or what really, really helped me uh, ascertain what happened, what they did, what black Americans would need to do, okay? Um, so then there's the AJC, the American Jewish Council. That's an important uh, organization in this for the Japanese redress too, you know? And so the analysis, I went into that and what, you know, their role, the legal team for the JACL. Oh, my goodness. You, I'll talk about them, but they 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 were monumental, monumentally important in, in, in changing the direction of the organization and getting on the on the right road to get what they needed in the way that they could 
uh, what, what made them extremely useful, okay? Extremely useful. I talk about prior redress efforts from both, or from both peoples, you know, our Japanese-American brothers and sisters, and our black American brothers and sisters, okay? And the importance of, you know, um, what, what can I say? Relationships. <laughs> That's basically what it comes down to. You know, congressional and senate, senatorial support and relationships. Then I'll get into the results, you know, and the strategy, the legal team, what they did, the, the JACL organization, and, you know, the, the legislative effort, you know, the lobbying efforts was extremely strong. Um, the funding, you know, how the Japanese Americans went about it and what black Americans are going to have to do, okay? And then the, the, the redress effort itself, you know, what needs, what, what needs to get done? Now, I'll be honest with you. On the strategy side, for the, um, for the Japanese Americans, the AJC, the American Jewish Council, was monumental, okay? Monumental, because the AJC came in, and you know what they are? They they are an organization that it supports um, uh, the fight against human rights. I'm sorry, the, the, the fight against human folks that are uh, abusing humans' rights. You know, um, in Israel, so they fight for their own people, and then they fight for other peoples. And the AJC is all over the world. And the thing about the AJC is that everybody in the Senate and Congress was a member. Well, not everybody. I don't know that to be true. But most everybody that mattered was a member of the AJC in the Senate and in the House. And so the AJC was an extremely powerful organization um, in which you felt like you needed to join it in order to be somebody. So imagine that. So now you get a chance to influence people in some political way or another, right? Um, the JACL, the Japanese you know, Citizens League, was an organization, is one of the first and oldest civil rights organizations, along with the AJC. They're, one, they're two of the oldest U.S civil rights organizations, okay? And the JACL was mainly, you know, it's a member organization, mainly on the West Coast for, you know, put together for the Japanese citizens that came from um, J Japan and mainly on the West Coast and some parts in the Midwest and, you know, it was a member organization, you know. And so when they went through the internment the, JC8, the JACL was the organization that worked with the government. And then there are some citizens, on Japanese citizens, that liked what, what they did and many that didn't like what they did. And so there was that, right? But pretty much because they were already in place as an organization, that's why they were, everything was run through them. They had a, a staff, you know, and, you know, all of that in place which is important when you're trying to do and when you're having a movement uh, 
at the national level when you're going to sue the government and all of that. Okay, so it's the JACL, the AJC, the legal team, the JACL legal team is, in my opinion, who took it all across, took that that football across the goalpost. I mean, um, across the goal line. The redress movement itself, the folk, the narrow focus um, of the movement, the support by the citizens, and it wasn't a big movement. It wasn't really huge, right? The um, but the focus, the narrow focus, uh, the organization, the JACL staff, you know, having that in place, the legislative uh, lobbying efforts. That Mr. Tatishi started up, and you know, and was part of and led. That was that was great because uh, at the end of the day, you have to have that. You know, you you want to get laws and you want to get legislative efforts done. You got to work with the politicians on both sides. So you need a bipartisan lobbying effort to make it work, right? And they they did that. They developed it. And, and they went for it. Funding, they used their money wisely. Didn't have a lot. They used their money wisely. Um, but the strategy to, to, that got them across the goal line was suggested by the AJC, you know, to get a, um, an, office, an office of redress administration where you'd have politicians on commission that would study um, what happened, you know, truth finding, and then put together a report. At the same time, you're lobbying, and then they had a, um, a public awareness, you know, campaign with Americans, because most folks didn't even know they, that there was a Japanese internment, right? So that is not something that black people are going to need to do. <laughs> so we don't need to do that. We don't need a public awareness campaign for slavery. Um, but that was pretty much what, you know, I analyzed, you know, what they did. And then at the, in, at also prior redress efforts, there's something that the legal team brought to the table that changed the game. It is a legal maneuver called Coram Nobis, C-O-R-A-M space N-O-B-I-S. And it's, you know, Latin for undoing errors in judgment, which, you know, legal judgments. And pretty much in history, history is written by the winners, right? So you take a, a, law, a legal case to a court full of people who don't want you to win, they'll find a way for you to lose, you know? And so Coram Nobis is a tool for going back and undoing that nonsense, right? Very, uh, and then Korematsu, if you're in the legal world, y'all, everybody knows Korematsu. That's one of the cases that the legal team went back and undid and fixed. Coram Nobis usually deals with evidence that was suppressed, that you have to have new evidence to get a Coram Nobis um, a case opened. You know, so you typically in the past, people suppressed evidence, you know, those in charge. That's the number one thing that happens. They suppress and then, you know, beat you, send you packing, right? And in history, over time, you can come back and undo that nonsense because history is, you know, tells no lies. 
History tells no lies. So let me be honest with you. I was so impressed when I got to that point in the book. <laughs> when the legal team showed up, the people in the white hats on horses. First thing they did was they came in and they, you know, came in to do the job. Oh, okay, we'll be lawyers. We'll come in and do what y'all ask. We'll be lawyers. And once they got in there, man, they they opened up the they took off their suits and showed their S on their chest. <laughs> if I'm Superman, I would never walk around with a suit on and glasses. I just leave home with my cape on and my suit. You know, I, some things don't need to be hidden. Walk walk around with the with your suit on with your S on your chest. I don't know why you want to hide that. So they showed up with their suits on and when they got in, they took off those suits and took over the board and created a you know, they added a different, they changed the mission. They made a modification to the mission. <laughs> Mr. Tatishi remained on board and, you know, he, his role grew, um, you know, for, re, for redress and all of that. And uh, the lobbying efforts were working, right? They were, making, they were making progress on their mission. But the legal team came in and changed the game. And honestly, I don't know if they would have won without the legal team and the change in strategy, because the strategy was to, um, you know, get that commission. But the legal team came in and took over the board and started, you know, going about uh, uh, using Coram Nobis, started suing everybody, <laughs> uh, local cities and municipalities and uh, uh, and putting together the federal case. And let me tell you, it was stupendous. I want to use a $12.75 word today. Stupendous. They're what they got, what they got done with Coram Nobis. Okay? So, it's sim simultaneously, the lobbying efforts are working. And what happens here is you had, you had some, some Japanese-American um, uh, congresspersons that had been in there forever, right? And they worked their, their, they were very good politicians. If you want to know what a politician is, go look it up. And then look at what these um, Japanese American politicians did to get redressed from the inside. They worked both sides of the aisle, quote unquote. And in 1988, <laughs> President Reagan signed, you know, signed it. They, they accomplished it. Okay. They got it done. So what's going to be required for black Americans, okay, in order to get the same things accomplished? Well, first off, precedence, and that has already been accomplished, right? Japanese, our Japanese American brothers and sisters have already done it. So here's my assertion. Here's the redress strategy. Quiet, simple strategic and unrelenting black Americans the team that I am gonna put together and I also suggest other people to put together their own redress teams follow my advice okay read my stuff follow the advice I spent months working on it don't don't go and do your own stuff take you a couple of weeks to put it together this has never been done oh let me make note of something before I move on. This is really important. 
The JACL approached several black American uh, civil rights organizations, one of which was the AACP, and asked them for their support. They chose um, to sit on the sidelines. When I read that part, oh my God, I had to close the book and come back. I had to go outside and get some sun. <laughs> I had to wait a few hours. I had to come back and start again. What? Yes, let me say that again. The NACP chose to sit on the sidelines and not support the JACL. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Guess what? I will be using that little note in what I'll be doing. Okay. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, let me just okay, let me get back to what I was talking about. So the strategy is a quiet, simple, strategic, and unrelenting one. Okay? With a narrow focus. And what needs to happen is we need to narrow the focus to 1787 to uh, 1865, 68, 14th Amendment. That's the legal period of time when we can do something. Before 1787, there was no, it wasn't legal. And the reason why 1787 is important is the preamble to the Constitution was published. That's legal. It said all men are created equal. A-L-L. Got that? <laughs> so, I don't know what your definition of A-L-L is. Rivals, opponents, and enemies. But in the area, in all of them, A-L-L means A-L-L. Okay? So, a narrow focus of illegality. And then you go from there. Okay. Organization. A small team of staff. And the reason why you need, I need a small team because you need organization to keep everything, you know, for every, everything to run through, you know, staff, uh, where you can have everything organized and, you know, mostly volunteer, but the staff needs to be paid. They need to come to work so they have a job and they have direction and focus, okay? The JACL had that. That's why they were able to be successful. They had a, a, a staff, you know, that, that a long time staff that was that were very dedicated. And I mean, if you read the book, quote unquote, very <laughs> dedicated, the stuff they went through from the Americans, quote unquote, that, you know, the public awareness campaign you need to read his book, you know, redress John Tatishi funding. Organize and start a Robin Hood effort. I'm going to fund it through Robin Hood efforts. If you don't know what that is, go look it up. I'm not going to explain all everything to the tilt, right, of what I'm going to do. But it will be a Robin Hood strategy. I won't have to rely on the member organization for, for funding, okay? We will take funding from private entities um, because, again, what is the um, thesis? The world awaits. Once we get started, the world will make a phone call. <laughs> Hi, creative brother. Can we help? <laughs> yes. Yes, you can. Okay. So funding, Robin Hood strategy. 
And then if black America, you know, black supportive black Americans want to pitch in, fine, be great. But I don't think we're going to need that. I really don't. Okay. Um, Legal. The team that I'm going to build will rival the team that the JACL built to do what they did. And you can bet your bottom dollar. I will fill it with as many menzins, with as many collegial and fellow menzins as possible. Because that's why my strategy is going to work. It is done by a menzin with a 30-something year background in planning (laughs) and executing, quote-unquote, successfully. Successfully. And the one thing you should always do, listeners, is try to, you know, anytime you're organizing anything, try to fill up the room with people who know more about stuff, particular stuff, than you do. Okay? You want them to be smarter than you in particular areas. And if you cover all the areas that need to be covered, you'll have a room full of men, of people with what I call lighted brains, lit up brain people. That's what you want. You want a bunch of people who are, you know, who are, who are uh, motivated. Their brains are lit up. If you did a brain scan, they're on fire. You know, motivated. This stuff lights up their brain. This stuff lights up my brain. That's why I'm doing it. (laughs) My personality type lends itself to social justice, you know, part time. (laughs) And my brain lights up when I start working on stuff like this. I am happy. I have to pull myself away. And that's why I'm starting a new organization, you know, a Citizens Redress Academy. Also, you know, for free, free classes online with a certificate so you can, you know, learn on how to get your citizens redress. There are many different forms. So on the legislative side, we are going to need strong lobbying efforts. Paid truly bipartisan in scope. Okay, because that's what the JACL had. They worked across both sides of the aisle. And remember, they had Japanese-American congresspersons also working from the inside. We already have that with black American congresspersons and senators, you know, a couple of senators. But it hasn't worked. Uh, their strategies haven't worked for the last 50 years. And they're going to have to change. And how do we change that? By taking upon ourselves as citizens to do things independently of the politicians who work for us. They work for us. And I dare say that the people who have been doing this are not menzen. And I don't want to, I'm not coming down on anyone when I say that. (laughs) I have revealed myself and now I'm going to hear it from all these people. And that's okay. You better make sure you come to me correct because if you know me, now you know why I've been able to do what I've been doing. Now you know too, okay? So ultimately, it's close. Again, the world awaits 
take on the mission is what I say. I have done the work and the assertion that I have produced for you, for all of you, my listeners, my rivals, my opponents and enemies, my supporters and all of that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm sorry. This podcast has to be a little bit over 30 minutes. But, you know, the importance of the subject at hand uh, uh, requires it. And I don't know if I actually truly captured what I have written, but that's OK. This is going to serve as a, a teaser, um, you know, a mouth wetter for you to go read the work. The work is substantial. I think you will get something out of it. But I want you to, to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening. And bye-bye.